so we're continuing with our, excuse the slightly weird voice, we're, we're continuing a series on uh, famous phrases uh, from the Bible, and we thought, well actually it was Karen's idea, uh, I've been sort of conferencing speaking a little bit over the last week or so, and I said to Karen, what, what, what famous phrase, I've not picked one, she said, well it's a dedication, how about that one about, you know, coming to Christ like little children, and Who's the greatest? Well, that's a really good idea. So that's what we're going to do. So it actually comes, as uh, Dan read earlier, in Matthew 18. And it's quite astonishing, actually. Um, really, it's quite a remarkable thing that's going on here. So if you've got a Bible, you could look at it. It's a little snippet. But it simply goes like this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. Now, just to interject at this point, if I was the Lord, obviously I'm not, but if I was the Lord and I've been on a bit of a journey with the disciples and then one of the first things out of their gobs at that particular moment is, who's the greatest then? He'd be a little bit frustrated, I would argue, because it's a little bit of a frustrating thing to say. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He calls a child, sets him before them. He says this, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty harsh. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And then it gets even harsher, which I'm not going to totally cover all of this today, actually. But let's just read it. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So suddenly, a little question like, uh, it's like, boss, boss, am I, <laughs> who's the greatest? Like, in fact, you can imagine it, can't you? They're like saying... Yeah, is it me? Do you think it might be me? Suddenly it escalates really quickly and uh, you can imagine all the disciples slinking away. To put this in context, the disciples have witnessed Jesus humbling himself and being baptised. They've, they've listened to the Sermon on the Mount. They've, they've soaked up the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, the peacemakers, you know, the humble, the kind, all of, all of that. Bless those who persecute you. Uh, blessed are those who go the extra mile. They've, they've absorbed all of that in Matthew 5. They've learned about giving and generosity, radical generosity. They've been told that when they pray, to do it in secret, where no one notices, not like parading yourself. They've absorbed all of that. They've been told not to store their treasure in heaven, not to worry. They've watched Jesus touch people with leprosy. Like if you touch diseased people in the ancient Middle East, you made yourself a spiritual curse. So they've watched all of that. It's radical. Uh, hanging out with diseased people and tax collectors and driving out demons. They've watched him calm a storm. They've looked at the parable of the sower, the wheat, the weeds, the mustard seed, the net and the priceless pearl. They've seen John the Baptist get beheaded. They've watched Jesus walk on water and feed 4,000 people miraculously. He's told them to pick up their cross and carry it. He's predicted his death and resurrection They've even witnessed the transfiguration. They've seen Jesus in all his risen glory. So by this time, I would contend, you would have hoped that the disciples would have kind of figured some of this stuff out. But they're still saying, 
Is it me? Am I, am I, am I pretty great? You know, do you think I am master? You know, because I'm pretty good. Like, it's unbelievable. That's what I'm saying. If it was me, if I was a lord in that context, I would be saying, have you not been listening to what I've been saying? <laughs> no, we've been doing this for some time now. Like, honestly, I'm living on the edge here. Do you not get this? But he's like, he escalates actually. He gets to look at look, you need to become like one of these. But if you, if you make them stumble, I'm going to put a milk stomach in your neck and you'll drown. <laughs> so I think that's where it starts escalating. But it's amazing that 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 thing that rises up in people. Am I the best? Consider me. It, it is rampant ego. I mean, ego is such a powerful thing in, in fallen humanity. It's ego, pride, insecurity, and fear all wrapped up together in that moment. And I think we're in a culture now where, and I'm not going to bang on about this too much, but I, I think the culture today is so reinforcing narcissism, ego and pride, on like an unprecedented level. Um, and narcissistic attitudes are, are a plague and a curse, I think, uh, on our culture. You know, it doesn't hurt to be a little bit confrontational every now and again in preaching, a little bit. A little bit upsetting because actually, do you know what it's doing, my head in? People are getting so self-centered now. It's unbelievable. Now, I believe in self-care. That's different. I, I believe we've got to look after ourselves. I keep saying to people, like I mentor a lot of leaders around the country, and often one of the first things I say when I see them getting worn out is, you've been kind to yourself. Like, you've got to be kind to yourself. Look after yourself. I'm not having a go at that. Then there's a difference in self-care and rampant selfishness that puts you at the centre of everything, often at other people's expense. I mean, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I've got all the social media accounts, obviously, like many people have, but I think you could do a little cheeky self-audit. Look at your, if you've got Instagram, look at your Instagram posts. If you are more than 65, 70%, I'm just making this stat up, selfie, you could be suffering from like the tentacles of narcissism might be going around your neck. I've got some mates, but literally every single photo on Instagram, some of them might even listen to this, it's like them like this. It's like every, every pose. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's all about, in this culture, how I appear, what do others think of me, how important am I, how entitled am I, what's in it for me, why should I go the extra mile? Why should I do that? And Jesus says, well, go, go the extra mile. But the culture today says, why should, why should you do that? Do, do what makes you happy. And what do I get? What about me if I do this thing? What am I going to get back from it? That's the pervading culture, isn't it? And it all reinforces this whole ego thing. This, who's the best? And Jesus cuts right in. I mean, in Mark 9, 35, he says... Yeah, if you want to be if you want to be first, you've got to be the very last. Be a servant of all. Now, in our culture today, that is hugely, hugely radical. And Jesus simply puts it in this uh, little section here. He says you've got to be a child. Now, not childish. We, that's well known. I don't want us all throwing toys around and cups at each other on a Sunday morning. It's not about being having childish tantrums. Though sometimes I do feel like having one. He's saying. 
be like a child. So I sat back in my, in my chair of contemplation and I thought, what does it mean to be a child? Now I've just come up, you know, to have this childlike faith that, that overcomes the ego and this whole kind of, am I the greatest thing and embraces simplicity, which I think is so needed today. Simple faith. I know we live in a complex world, but simple faith and trust and hope. Number one, it's just a few of my own thoughts on this. I think we need to recover, as a childlike faith, a joy in simple things. Because life has become so complex. Now, at risk of embarrassing uh, eldest daughter, some years ago, um, we, we always tried to, you know, do a nice Christmas, birthdays and stuff for our girls, and nice Karen would wrap presents, because I do man wrapping, which is like basically newspaper <laughs> and masking tape. But, uh, but to take great pride in, but Karen does proper wrapping and, and, you know, layers and all that kind of stuff. And I remember once, Emily, I can't remember if this was Christmas or her birthday, but it still makes me laugh even thinking about it now. We got a, a bunch of presents and she frenziedly attacked the presents. <laughs> and there was paper going everywhere and contents coming out of present boxes. And so it was great. And then suddenly she went back to a box that had already been opened. And she went, hooray, it's nothing. Nothing, it's nothing. <laughs> but she was so happy. She was like, it's nothing. And she was so happy. I thought, why did I spend all that money? I could have given her a box. It's a little box. I could have wrapped it up. It's a nothing present. But she actually genuinely meant it. And then I started thinking as I was in my sofa of contemplation, where did that all go so wrong? Like Emily, just like in everyone. When did we lose simple joy? Is that consumerism? Is it what is that? Why when did we lose simple pleasure and simple joy? Where did that go wrong? And it's a simple little point really. I can't I don't know what it means for you, but I just felt this overwhelming conviction in me. Childlike faith. I want to rediscover simple joy. Like, like, I don't know. I've said it before, but taking a nice view. Tasting something. Just tasting something, you know, and enjoying it. and Sitting down with someone and enjoying their company. and Being fully attentive. Simple joys. Because life, it seems so complex. I think we have to do our best to strip some of that back because I think when we overcomplicate it, we overcomplicate your faith, your relationship with Jesus, I think you just stop breathing. Everything becomes demanding and complicated. And I guess I'm trying to communicate to a heart thing here. Just, just step back a bit. Pause a bit. Breathe. Enjoy life. I had a, a mate contact me yesterday. I had so many people ask me for meetings all over the country at the moment. I was looking at my diary thinking, oh, I don't know how to fit all this in. Then another bloke contacted me for another meeting about something else. And I said, hey, let's just meet up and eat a great burger. Yeah, he, he texted me, he went, what? But let's just go out and eat a great burger. He said, are we going to talk about that work? Then I went, no, nah. let's just go and have a great burger. Let's enjoy being friends. He went, oh, okay. 
So we call it in a diary. They took six weeks to get in a diary because the diary is so full up. But you get my point. So, so like, ugh, all the time. Point two, contentment in less. Less stuff. I was wondering what the big ambitions are today. Is it home ownership? Is that the dream, the second home, or financial freedom? I don't know. But I remember, um, I've told you this before, some of you, but I, when Karen and I first started out in ministry, I was working in the bank, Karen was in the civil service, and Karen uh, then, I left the bank, and I was contemplating planting a church on an estate in Essex. Karen was still in the civil service. And... Um, we owned our home for just a few years, and we got on the ladder as a young professional couple, bought a house. And uh, that seemed to be the pinnacle of what everyone wanted. Like, you know, you get on the housing ladder, buy a house, a young professional couple commuting to London. That was, it seemed to be the thing. Anyway, we did it. And then uh, I, we were looking at planting this church on the estate. Long story short, I felt this overwhelming conviction that we needed to be incarnational. That means to live amongst those and be like those who are living in quite difficult circumstances. Um, but then I thought, well, no, what Jesus means is you've got to have the heart to do that. Like, I mean, you actually got to do it. Like, have the heart for it, because that's the main thing. Knowing like Jesus says, give your possessions to the poor, give everything away, it doesn't actually mean that. It means have a heart that you could do that. That's a great church get out. But gee, as long as your heart's there, you can do it. That's what most people say, you know, it's fine. But I came home and found Karen crying on, on our bed. Sort of, not, not hysterical crying, but a little bit weepy. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, I was reading that passage in Luke 9. I went, oh yeah, what was that? It says, uh, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I went, oh yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? And she said, oh, I think that's us. What are you talking about? She said, I think we've got to sell our home. But I just bought it. She said, I think we've got to sell our home. We've got to move on to the estate. And I remember feeling so challenged. I, like, I didn't want to do that. You know, but actually, it took us on a journey of radical simplicity at that time. And it was so, so good for us. So much of what the world is saying is the accumulation of things. And I think God calls us to something simple. Nothing wrong with owning a home. Nothing wrong with improving your home. Just done it myself. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But when it becomes your God, and when you make it complicated, and it's all crowding in, it's consuming your thoughts, and your thoughts are your possessions, your home, yourself is how I look, what I've got. And you lose basic humanity, which is, for me, my relationship with my father in heaven and my wife, my kids, my friends. And actually it's all been drowned out by my pension and my money and my savings and how much am I earning. And have I got the latest, you know, kettle, fast boiling kettle? Have I got a toaster, toasty? You know, I need that gadget for my car. And that's at the front of your brain. Something's gone wrong. It's like, it's, I think there's something timeless in what Jesus is whispering to us here. I think it calls across the ages, but it's so pertinent to us now. And it's simply this, I think. Are you really living?
childlike faith. Are you really living? You got joy, simple joy. Have you got that? Now, actually, as you can tell from my voice, I've had man flu. I've actually had man flu on steroids, but a little bit of hand, foot, and mouth. I've not told Annie because she had uh, training as a vet. She'd have me put down and burn me carcass. But um, uh, we. Uh, I've had a little bit of blistering. I've got some ulcers in my throat and gums and mouth, which is making it a bit hard to talk. And what it did mean was um, I didn't eat much. Praise the Lord. Over the last nearly two weeks. And uh, Karen said she'd been praying I'd have a, a new booster. Because every now and again I do this big endurance of fitness thing. I think she'd been praying that I'd get back to it. And uh, praying that, you know, I'd sort myself out. And uh, quite a radical answer to prayer, actually, because it's been hurting... Really badly, thanks for that, wife. Um, but I, I was living off pea soup uh, for about 12 days, half a bowl, once a day. Uh, it's very depressing. Uh, felt like eating razor blades, drinking water. In fact, it feels like I'm speaking with razor blades in my mouth right now. Praise the Lord. Last night, ladies and gentlemen, I had an omelette. Wow. I'm telling you. I feel quite emotional. <laughs> After 12 days, I made an omelette. Karen said, I was, I, a few eggs, beat them up, sliced a few mushrooms, very small, can't chew very well. And I sliced some cheese, and Karen went, that's quite a lot of cheese. So I haven't eaten for two weeks. <laughs> Give us a break. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, I lovingly cooked this beautiful omelette, and I, I presented it on my plate. I just got in from speaking at a conference, actually. So I, I was still a bit sore, waiting some ibuprofen. Oh, oh, that first mouthful. I could only chew on that side. <laughs> Cheese and mushroom omelette. It's absolutely beautiful. I said, I was welling up. <laughs> so this is, this is a cheese and mushroom omelette. Tastes so good. Why did it stop tasting so good? It's just overcomplicating life. Sunning, I mean, just sunning in that, I think. Be like a child. We discover wonder. Simple things. Bowl of cornflakes. Beautiful. Simple things. I remember once when I was doing one of my mad challenges, cycling up the Alps. Very painful. In the summer, don't recommend it. 92,000 feet of climbing and 1,000 miles we did. And I remember halfway up one Alp climb, I was so thirsty. And I had a tiny little bit of water left. And there was one tree on the side of the road that was casting some shade. And I remember just putting my bike down. I thought, I'm just going to sit under the shade for a couple of minutes. And I had this last little bit of water. And it felt like nectar. And the shade of that tree was wonderful. And I just looked out across half of you, because it was a bit obscured by his hairpin turn. And I thought, life is just beautiful. All I need right now is a little bit of shade. 
and a tiny bit of cold water and everything felt great. And yet we come home and everything gets so complicated again. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't know how you're going to practice it. But strip some things out. Get the simple joys back. Live life well. Get simple joy back. Pause, breathe, commune with one another. What I love about Sundays, what I love about being here, I love being in the worship. But do you know what I really love too? I like it before and after. People are chatting to each other, being human beings, being community and having friendships. It's what we were built for. Love our God and love one another. Simple. Belief and not cynicism is the next thing. Jesus told us that we can have faith that moves mountains in Matthew 17. I've long been perplexed by that. What does that actually mean? Is that for real? But here's what I think about childlike faith. Something happens to us as we grow up. We become cynical as we get older. Why? Because we get burned and we get hurt. And we lose our ability to trust and we lose our ability to believe the best and give the benefit of the doubt in all circumstances. That's a very powerful thing, negatively powerful thing that happens to us. But I remember the first time Karen and I got really hurt pastorally in a church situation. I mean, so hurt. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. And, uh, and I wanted to give up. And I remember feeling, without going into all the details, I don't think I could ever trust anyone ever again. I remember feeling like that. This is 20 years ago. I never trust anyone again. You know, if you're going to leadership in anything, you can get hurt at some point. But it's how you respond to it is where the battles are. You know, that, that's where you win or lose long term, I think. And I remember thinking, I don't think I can trust anyone again. And I had this moment of revelation that said to me, actually, the minute, the minute I become a cynic, and I lose my ability to trust and believe the best and give the benefit of the doubt, Satan has won. I've got to be prepared to be hurt. I've got to be vulnerable. I choose to be vulnerable. And I choose, I choose to believe the best. And I choose to have a faith uh, that believes for anything. It drives my pastoral conviction. The way I lead this church is I believe that there is no situation that can't be redeemed. There is no pain in someone's life that can't be dealt with. There is no hopeless situation that can't be restored. There's no marital situation that can't be put right. Why? Because my saviour died and rose again and said he could deal with it. So I choose to believe it. That's why I keep saying, and I repeat myself over and over again, we are the church of a thousand second chances. Because my pastoral conviction comes to the fact there is no such thing as hopelessness. And I'm prepared to have egg on my face for looking like a naive, silly boy. I'd rather be accused of being naive than be a bitter cynic. And that's why I want our church to be. Full of hope. Even when it looks hopeless. I remember uh, years ago talking to a bloke, two blokes. One had been an IRA terrorist. One who was an ex-I, when they used to go to the IUC, IUC police officer. He said, we used to hunt each other on the streets of Belfast, and now we're planning a men's breakfast together. How does that happen? That's the gospel. Yesterday, I was hosting a conference called Press Red, which is about preventing violence against women. 
So one in three women in our country are going to be subjected to some form of violence. It is a harrowing confidence to lead, actually. But two people shared a testimony together. Two people I know, actually. One's called Vicky, who was for years systematically and violently beaten and abused through two or three different relationships. And, a, and then she interviewed Darren. And Darren had been a perpetrator of gender violence and had beaten up very badly one of his partners and, and, and well, years of pattern of violence against women. And then, it, and, then, and then it all changed and he broke into tears and, 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 and she said to him, what changed? He said, it was the blood of Jesus. He said, I met Jesus and everything changed. And now he's working as an evangelist for the last 15 years. And these two people were hugging and sharing and laughing together at the front of the platform. Someone who had been badly, violently abused as a woman and a perpetrator of gender violence. Now, united, standing on the stage, sharing the platform. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ does that. And I don't know about you, but I believe him for that. I have to believe for that. I believe that all situations could be made good. There's nothing that can't be undone. That, everybody, is childlike faith. Let's not be cynics. Our God can do immeasurably more than we ever dare to conceive. If only we have a little bit of faith. Nothing is beyond hope. Nearly done. Next one. Wonder. Children have wonder. We mustn't lose our sense of wonder. I used to love the expression on my kids' faces when they saw something beyond their capacity to take it in. Like me doing a press-up or something like that. Or fireworks or Disney princesses. I used to love it. I remember once we actually had the, the opportunity to take them to Disney World. They saw the fireworks. I saw their faces. Look at the wonder on their faces. We lose our wonder. That's why I love having the kids hanging around. I love seeing wonder on children's faces. And on grown-ups who have not lost the ability to wonder. Karen says I started doing an old man thing. She says, sometimes now when I'm watching films, I start nodding along. She says, I'm doing that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's happening. <laughs> I'm tracking 50 and I'm, I'm going a bit weird. But you know what it is? <laughs> Do you know what it is? I just like, I just get into it. I just, I, I, I don't want to be an overcomplicated, boring, cynical, joyless lump. I want to wonder and enjoy and laugh and smile at what I'm watching and looking at. And let's not lose our sense of wonder and let's kill bitterness. As we get older, we accumulate wounds that make us cynical and we get this tape going round in our heads all these voices and things that hurt us and as I said I'd rather be vulnerable and risk getting hurt than bitter but I would say coming out of today a little bit of homework for you do a bitterness audit you, you got a clean account with everybody are there, are there people that wronged you that you need to forgive are there things you need to let go of it just chew you up if you don't. Just, just let things go. Life's too short. If someone's hurt you, buy them a present. Buy them a present. Have the opposite spirit. Love them. Now, there can be situations that are so toxic, you need wisdom. 
I'm talking about low-level stuff. Low-level stuff. Someone hurt you in your family. Someone did your head in at work. A neighbour said something a bit shirty. I'm not talking about really deep, traumatic stuff here. I'm talking about low-level stuff that robs your peace, pecks your head. Bless them. Life's too short. Childlike. You watch children fall out, and then suddenly they're running around together. You notice that? That's what they do. We fall out and we sit on it for months. Children, right, they're all crying and the parents all getting round up because little Timmy hit little Joey with a, with a you know, a stegosaurus model and, and now he's got, he's got a matchbox toy embedded in his left cheek and all this. And then, and then all the parents are standing off and then, and then the kids are running around having a laugh because they've moved on. We've got to move on. Move on. Let it go. It's not worth it. Life's too short. Nearly done. Take steps towards your Father in heaven. That's what children do. When my kids were small, and even now actually, when they're hurt, happy, upset, shocked, got good news, what do they do? They run towards their parents actually. They want to share things. They want to be with you. More so when they're little. It happens in other ways now. Nowadays, I get a text, <laughs> which, is the, which is the equivalent. Yeah, I get a text or I get a WhatsApp. <laughs> but back in the day, they'd run towards me or they'd run towards their mum. As grown-ups, we stopped running towards our father in heaven. The children run towards their father with trust. Just give it to God. There's some lesson in there, I think. Hebrews 4 says... You know, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have a great high priest who understands our weaknesses and our fragilities. You could be sitting here today uh, feeling under the cosh. You, you could be sitting here thinking, God don't love me. I know what's in my life. God don't really love me. It's not true. Loves all of you. More than you could ever comprehend. All you need to do is take a little childlike step towards him. Draw his arms out. There's nothing that can't be forgiven, nothing that can't be dealt with, nothing he can't overcome. Childlike faith is all it takes. Simple steps, simple joy, simple trust. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. And I'll finish by saying this. Who's the greatest in all of that? It's the people with childlike faith. Simple. And I, um, I remember um, turning up at the church that I led in Essex. Big church. Gifted people, growing fast. We had a car park wrapping around the building. And I turned up once early for a meeting. I was always, I'm always early for most things. And um, this guy with special needs was cutting the, the conifers back, which, which were bordered the whole car park. He had quite acute uh, learning difficulties. Um, lovely guy, very simple guy. And I thought, I, was, I pulled out my car and I thought, oh, it's interesting that Paul's doing that. So I um, got out of the car, I said, hello, Paul. He said, hello, Carl. I said, uh, did he, why are you doing this? And he went, oh, I, I, it's, I, it's what I do. I said, what do you mean it's what you do? He said, oh, I always cut the conifers back. And I remember sitting there, standing there thinking, oh, I've always wondered who cut the conifers back. I said, has anyone ever asked you to do that? He went, oh, no, I just see them overgrowing and I come out and I do it. 
How many years have you been doing that for? Ten years. Went, Thanks, boy, it's amazing. Went, no problem. So we're back to cutting these big conifers all the way around the church car park. I went into the church. This little whisper of the Holy Spirit. Just a tiny little whisper. No more than that. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. He's, he's got a big reward. And I remember probably just thinking something like, I so know in heaven I'm going to get a Brussels sprout patch and I hate Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know. Why is he the greatest? Because everything that he had, he was using. And he was humble. And he, and he wasn't displaying it. And no one knew. Who knew that Paul, with special needs, was the guy who cut the conifers? No one knew. I didn't know. I was a senior pastor. Quietly serving, pouring his life out, doing what he could do with what little had been given. And there's us, given so much. And it was still like, who's the greatest? Is it, is it me? And the Lord just says, be like a child. Be like a child. Childlike faith, actually, is a beautiful thing. And I'll, I'll say this. For me, the whole adventure of faith started when I chose to take a childlike step. I've got half a brain, and I had so many questions. What about the Shroud of Turin? What about the Pope? You know, what about the all different versions of the Bible? What about this? And what about this, this, uh, historic accuracy of the Bible? And what about, what about this? And how does that work? And I had all these questions. I thought I was so smart. Outwitting the elders of Emerson Park Evangelical Chapel, sparring with them. I was only going along to chat Karen up, as you know. But I like sparring with them. And someone sent me a message on Facebook the other day. I got reacquainted with one of the leaders. They said, I remember you standing in the kitchen rowing with everyone about theology. Now, I hadn't become a Christian, but the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it was a simple step of trust to my Father in heaven. And do you know what? Still not got all the answers. Still baffled by so much. And the more I think I know, the more heretical I'm worried I'm going to become. Because I've still got so many questions. But at a heart is a simple faith for I trust my Father in heaven. And maybe that's for someone here. Maybe your way back or in to Christ is to say, I'll take a simple step. Just a simple step. Think about what I said. Let's decomplicate life. Let's get our joy back. Start living life well. Let's breathe a little bit. Enjoy the simple things. Be childlike. I think it'd be such a chilled out hippie church if we all did that. It'd be wonderful. You'll be coming in next week with long hair and dreadlocks and bandanas and stuff. It'd be so cool. Or maybe not. <laughs>